Hello, my name is Anne Wynn, Senior Associate Conference Producer at Cambridge Health Tech Institute, and today we have a special podcast for the upcoming Strategic Alliance Management Congress, May 1st to 3rd in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We're very excited to have with us one of our keynote speakers from the event joining us via phone, Dr. Christoph Pitius, Vice President and Head of Transactions, Business Development at AstraZeneca. Christoph, how are you today? I'm very well, thank you very much. How are biopharma alliances and deal-making evolving? What specific trends do you see developing? In my view, um, there are many more partnerships these days happening than situations where a company just hands over their assets. The two companies work much more closely together, and that is also reflected in how the deal is uh, structured. There is typically a large element of risk-sharing these days that could be reflected in co-promotion arrangements or it could be reflected in retained rights. For example, a biotech company, as they assert themselves and as they are more and more conscious of what they can actually do themselves, except for the fact that they don't have the money to do everything, they would possibly retain rights for a territory, for example, U.S. companies would not license out the rights for the U.S. or European companies would not do that for their own territory in Europe, which is especially relevant if you're talking about specialty markets where those limited territories can easily be done. What also is sometimes found that companies want to retain rights for a therapeutic area if the product is applicable to multiple therapeutic areas, but I can mention that in a further context down the road. What are some of the biggest challenges seen in deal-making today? When you look at the big picture in terms of challenges, I want to divide this into two. One is the challenges for a big pharma, and then the challenges for biotech. For big pharma, the picture presents itself that you have so many opportunities that you could choose from that it's quite important to drill down to the strategic fit, what it is that the big company really needs to do in terms of licensing. And then when you want to go down the process of licensing in a product or technology, for example, you have to be aware of internal versus external stakeholders and the communication with these people because there are all kinds of different views even inside a company. And the business development person has to get all the ducks in a row and align his internal company first before he can actually talk to the outside company. Sometimes those internal negotiations are actually even more difficult than negotiations with the company on the other side of the table. And when it comes to biotech company, I think the biggest challenges today are shown by the situation that a company wants to get reward for their past work without outselling or without getting rid of the baby that they have grown completely. So they need to retain enough value from a technology or from asset for a future exit or to make themselves attractive to future partners. Otherwise, they get money in the short term, and when that money is gone, they have nothing left. And when a biotech company goes about partnering, the due diligence process is quite important. Frequently, we find that biotech companies try to hide over weaknesses and uh, lack of transparency shows in there, but the other side will very quickly look through that. And so my recommendation to a company would be not to hide such weaknesses, but actively address them, and instead of hiding them, to propose mitigations. 
because actually there is no product without weaknesses. If we tell our management we license this product in and it has no weaknesses, we find nothing in the diligence. They tell us we don't believe it. There's no product without that. So that is the most straightforward way that a biotech company gains credibility with the other side. Now, that was the big picture in terms of challenges in dealmaking. When I go a little bit more into detail, there's a lot of things that one has to think about. For example, the exact financial structure of upfront milestones, SRPs, and so forth. The money at risk that both parties undergo when they commit to such an agreement is something that has to be looked at very carefully. And there are two other aspects which I will actually address in my presentation in Philadelphia, which companies usually are not that well aware of. One is the P&L aspect. Biotech companies always think that Big Pharma has a big bag of money and they just spend the money at random. But that's not so. Pharma companies might look to have a lot of money, but the money is all committed and spoken for. And especially the P&L is something that large pharma companies usually are very restricted in these days. They don't want to spend money that is counted as P&L spend because their own investors then think that they don't get enough return on their money. So there have to be creative ways of finding ways of doing the deal without the, spe- the money that the company, the large company, spends on the biotech company hitting the P&L. So that's something I will speak about. And then another item is tax implications. There is a meaning of the word partnership that has a very specific tax implication that is negative for European companies. And so one has to structure the deal so that it doesn't look as a so-called deemed tax partnership. So these are some specific things. In addition to what I could mention, challenges that have to be addressed in the deal-making are governance issues, termination issues, and then any HR issues if you talk about a deal where an asset changes hands, and also the issue of communication when you communicate to what internal or external stakeholders. So I mentioned these points and some others in my presentation, but there's a lot of tricky points here that all have to be thought about very carefully in order to make the deal process smooth and the deal itself a success. What are critical steps necessary to overcome these challenges to maximize the value of strategic partnerships? I could list a large number of items, but for this answer, I want to actually be be quite brief and restrict myself to the time of negotiations. The key thing here is to really get a good deal out that survives after the ink is dry, is to establish a good relationship between the parties, Um, create a situation of trust between the parties, and to keep the commitment to each other. For example, during negotiations, if you offer one point, that you then don't backtrack later and and pretend that you have never offered that point. That would erode trust and reflect badly on the uh, entire process. So key to that is to put yourself in the shoes of the other side and understand them, be empowered to give items in negotiation And also, on the other hand, say, this is something I cannot uh, give up. Is there something else you could give to me? So if this is done in an open environment where no one feels that you're hiding something or where you're going around uh, the other side to put yourself at an undue advantage, then all little matters that seemingly pop up all the time will easily be overcome. It takes some time, but you can overcome it. But without trust between the parties, nothing can be overcome. Finally, what is your outlook for the future of strategic partnerships and deal-making? What 
types of partnerships do you think will increase over time? Yeah, and that's a little bit like the first question here. I think risk-sharing will happen more and more. The strategic partnerships where the two companies are more or less somewhat equal. They're like partners. Each party gives up something and retains something, like I mentioned at the beginning. For example, co-promotion options, a small biotech company, even though seemingly they don't have any capabilities in this regard right now, they look forward, they feel they want to grow up, they want to be a big boy and want to have their own sales force, even though it seems to be years away, and they would want to write this down in the country, at least as an option for themselves. If they later don't take it, that's fine, but at least the pharma company needs to acknowledge that one should give them this option. And similarly to what I mentioned before, the, the retaining of a territory or of a therapeutic area. Now, the therapeutic area retained, depending on if that's even possible with the product, but that's um, particularly tricky because that would really only be possible if there are several therapeutic areas for a product and if there are different formulations so that you can separate the product because it's not realistic to ask if it's an identical product that's being marketed for two different indications, say I keep this indication and you keep the other indication because that would only cause trouble. So if it makes sense to separate the pie then that should be done and that will be done. That, I believe, is a trend in this partnership and that will continue over time and it will continue because biotech has the capability to demand it. It is, after all, at least it looks to me, from my perspective, it is a seller's market. And so biotech can ask for a lot of things that they couldn't couldn't ask before. I want to mention in this context, there's some other trends here. One trend is that there's now more interest in early stage approaches. There was, for example, a time when early stage was everything. It was hot and everyone looked for the next genomic technology. That went away. Then companies only wanted to look for late stage products. And now the trend has a little bit reversed. It is actually both some companies interested in late, others are interested in early, and others are interested in both. So that, I believe, is here to stay as well. And in terms of a thematic trend, what companies are working on is that diseases are being addressed in a much more targeted way to identify the patients that are most likely to respond well to given intervention and those who benefit most. And that's just a function of what the market demands because regulatory authorities and the reimbursement authorities, they cannot go on forever and pay for just any new drug that's the me too. It has to be working and the best way to show it's working is that it works on, on specific patients and then even possibly if it were then works, one could even charge more for it and could charge enough to make the exercise worthwhile. And lastly, the trend that I see is large companies cannot fund everything that looks promising. And so I see a big trend to spin out companies. Pharma companies don't want to fund it. They find some venture firm or some other ways of getting initial funding. And so they get spun out as new codes. And those new codes have then the chance to develop the promising approach further. And when it then materializes that something is behind it, then those companies will find their individual exits and can prosper um, that way. And with that, I think we'll wrap up. Christoph, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to your upcoming keynote presentation at the Strategic Alliance Management Congress. Yes, thank you, and I'm looking forward to it as well. For those listening, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you at the conference. Goodbye.